Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration, and information on writing, publishing options, and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint, and lots more information at thecreativepen.com. And that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 506 of the podcast. It is Sunday the 6th of September 2020 as I record this and it's definitely autumn has turned here. I've been picking up conkers all week. I put it on Instagram. (laughs) It's it's my marker of uh, autumn here in the UK is the first conker or horse chestnut, you call it in uh, America and other countries. But yeah, very exciting. I like autumn. Things definitely feel like they're changing in so many ways. <laughs> Obviously, we're quite used to change this year. <laughs> anyway, today I'm talking to Emily Kimmelman, who writes mysteries. And we start off talking about dyslexia and then travel and writing with a family. And then we get into ambition and the desire to become a seven-figure author. And when we talk about seven figures, we talk about in one year rather than over time, because we can all make seven figures over the course of our lives. (laughs) But when we talk about these figures, they're usually for, for a year. I love talking about ambition and money sometimes. Obviously, we have a lot of craft podcasts, but so often writers dampen down their ambition and they don't want to talk about money. But it's okay. You're allowed to be an artist and also to be ambitious. And if you make a lot of money, you can provide for your family. You can give it all away to causes you care about if you like. You can change things in society. And I am definitely creatively ambitious and also financially ambitious. I have said before I want to be more like Picasso than Van Gogh and not in the way Picasso's love life went. (laughs) He was a bit crazy in the love life department but he was a prolific artist. He was rich while he was alive unlike uh, many who don't become recognised until they die. He was commercially and critically successful and he left a hell of a legacy. So my question, one of the questions I've got for you today, I've got a few actually, this is my first question while you listen to me and Emily when we get to this part of the conversation, which is towards the second half, uh, what do you want and where does your ambition lie? Is it creative? Is it financial? Is it what else? Where is your ambition? And can you give yourself permission to want that? Or if you're not ambitious, then no worries. But recognising these things is, is important, I think. So in publishing news, uh, carrying on a bit from last week, because I forgot to mention, (laughs) I'd written it down and I put it in the wrong place, which is related to the antitrust, uh, the Senate Antitrust Committee on Amazon. Probably even more pertinent to the conversation is that the Authors Guild, the Association of American Publishers and the American Booksellers Association wrote to the Senate Antitrust Committee to comment on the concentrated power and influence of Amazon. They say... Amazon's scale of operation and share of the market for book distribution has reached the point that no publisher or author, in my brackets there, uh, can afford to be absent from its online store. I'll link to the whole letter in the show notes, obviously, but they also say Amazon no longer competes on a level playing field when it comes to book distribution, but rather owns and manipulates the playing field, leveraging practices from across its platform that appear to be well outside of fair and transparent competition. And they point to the big data that Amazon gathers and uses to recommend items and books. Uh, And then they say, we believe that Amazon acts anti-competitively in multiple ways, dictating the economic terms of its relationships with suppliers 
years so that publishers, their authors and the booksellers who sell on Amazon pay more each year for Amazon's distribution and advertising services, but receive less each year in return. This is an important statement because this is absolutely true. And uh, I remember Russell Blake saying this. He was on the podcast last year and he said, you know, the fact that we used to get paid 70% royalty, that's not true anymore. We are royalties eaten away by the amount of advertising we have to pay for. So, you know, if you actually calculate your total profit, you will be getting a lot less than 70%. And so I'll just say that last bit again. Um, the publishers, authors and booksellers who sell on Amazon pay more each year for Amazon's distribution and advertising services, but receive less each year in return. And this is certainly very interesting. Now, you can pay for advertising on other platforms. For example, I often do more on BookBub and Facebook than I do on Amazon ads for some of my books. Although for my nonfiction, I do find Amazon ads to be very uh, worthwhile. That will depend by author, by genre, etc. But uh, this is certainly true that we do have to pay to play in many of these situations. In a related story, Powell's bookstore announces their freedom from Amazon. <laughs> they say, we have decided to mark this year's Independent Bookstore Day by announcing that we will no longer sell our books on Amazon. For too long, we have watched the detrimental impact of Amazon's business on our communities and the independent bookselling world. We understand that in many communities, Amazon and big box retail chains have become the only option. And yet, when it comes to our local community and the community of independent bookstores, we must take a stand. We will not participate in undermining the, vi the vitality of local businesses. We hope you will join us in celebrating this year's Independent Bookstore Day by buying books at your favourite independent bookstore. And Business Insider reports on this and, and Powell's Books also posted a community message. They say, Business Insider says, Powell notes that Amazon's marketplace was hard to give up, sort of like smoking, <laughs> given that the e-commerce giant has historically been a big sales generator for the bookstore. Ultimately, though, selling on Amazon is cost intensive for small businesses thanks to expenses related to advertising and providing speedy shipping. So there's a couple of things I just wanted to, obviously, as I've said, the percentage that we have to pay in advertising has risen uh, extensively over the years. But it's also interesting that this is about physical bookstores. And I do find that most of the companies are talking about print. Now, when we're talking about ebooks and audiobooks, which is where a lot of indies do make uh, money as well, we still have to pay for advertising. But an independent local bookstore is not going to compete in a digital space. So while I absolutely love buying physical books at my local independent bookstores, and I do regularly, I will buy hardbacks every week at the moment, give them away, I buy gifts, I, I buy a lot for myself, I buy a lot of book, books for research, and to support the bookstores, that they were the stores I went straight back to as soon as they opened again. And I do buy physical books from my local independents. But I spend a lot more on ebooks and audiobooks and those local independent bookstores don't sell those things. So I find this really interesting, but I think that they're not necessarily recognizing the vast ways, the vastly different ways that people read in this day and age. So 
While I absolutely relate to this issue of expenses related to advertising, we all and we all have to remember it's not about the amount that comes in, it's about how much you keep. So for example, the discussion on seven figures that we have, that Emily and I have in this, to make a seven figure profit, (laughs) you may well have to be spending a lot you will have to be spending a lot more on advertising in order to make a seven-figure profit. So I know people who make seven figures revenue, but I don't know how much they might make in profit. So this is a very interesting point. I also am personally not going to stop selling at Amazon. I'm a very, as I said with Len last week, I'm a very happy Amazon customer, but I also try and spread my money around. But I definitely like to sell my books at different places. I definitely want thriving local independent bookstores, but I also read digitally and I uh, read by audiobooks and I sell on all platforms. So what I think the most important message here is let's try and spread our money around (laughs) and have thriving ecosystems into the future. And I'll be talking about this a lot more next week when uh, we've got a show on Wide for the Win. That's coming up next week. In my personal update, I'm still working away at Tree of Life and I've also been doing a few social and family things, so pretty busy with catching up with people, to be honest. I've also been reflecting on what I said last week, which is really funny because I basically said I was feeling contentment around where I am and that my itchy feet are not so itchy and I was at peace and calm and just enjoying the simple life. And then I think, as so often with this podcast and creating. This is, I write, obviously I write everything before I speak it. And sometimes I go extemporaneously off what I write, but I prepare this by writing. So I am thinking as I'm writing. And I think by articulating what I was thinking at the time, I've also noticed it more. So often with when we journal things or when we think about things, we actually realise what we think. And I was on the phone to my mum this week and she said, oh, I'm fine with this lockdown. I love, and we're not even locked down here in the UK anymore. We're in this kind of new normal. But she says, oh, I'm, I like being in my flat and I have my regular walks and I go to the supermarket at the same time and, and I have I get the food that I like and it's there. And I was listening to her and I went, oh my goodness, that's what I sound like that is exactly what I said last week. And my mum, to be fair, my mum's in her 70s and she's not, she's pretty much shielding. She's not at risk in terms of the fact that she's healthy, but she's still in her 70s. So I, but, and and me, I'm 45, fit 45 year old. And I was just like, oh my goodness, that's what I sound like. (laughs) I'm eating the same food every week. Like literally we have the same deliveries that come and we eat the same food and I'm doing the same walks. I have my three loops that I do and I am not knocking this at all. I am incredibly grateful to be living where I do uh, and I'm safe and I'm happy and we're well and things are good. So I'm not knocking that at all. And uh, I'm not knocking anyone's thoughts about their own lives. I'm just sharing my thoughts as I do. Yes, I'm very lucky. I'm very grateful. But then I realised this is not living. This is not how I live. This is not me living the life that I want to live. It is fine for now. We are still in a pandemic and this new normal 
is going to be in place for I don't know how long. But what I have felt is my comfort zone is shrinking. And this is very worrying to someone like me. <laughs> so from a very early age, when I my mum taught us about comfort zones, she took us to school in Africa in 1983. We went to Malawi. Uh, I talk about this on my books and travel podcast in the early, probably episode one, I think I talked about it. But from an early, my earliest memories are really my earliest vivid memories are going to school in Malawi and my comfort zone for me and my brother expanded in early stage of our lives and has shaped the way we live and so for me my writing life is all about what I learn when I travel the things I see when I walk around a place the ideas that come from being somewhere new with different people different cultures different languages different food and your comfort zone will shrink and shrink if you let it if you stop trying new things and you stop expanding your horizons and I was thinking about this week and I was thinking oh my goodness I am in my comfort zone I'm very comfortable right now I'm not doing anything that makes me uncomfortable and that is a dangerous place for a creative, in my opinion, because either I will become so boring to myself <laughs> that I will, I don't know, I will just stop or I won't be able to create or maybe I will just, I don't know what will happen. But for me, so much of what I do comes from curiosity about the world. And yes, I can get a lot of it from books and I know a lot of people do, but that is not how I want everything to be. So, I have started making concrete plans for expanding my comfort zone again. I definitely, obviously, I'm not going to go jump on a plane. <laughs> That's not what I mean. <laughs> I'm not going to come over to America right now. Fair enough. We're not going to New Zealand right now. There are lots of things we're not doing. But I have done some things. So I have booked my first ultra marathon for the year. All the ones I had booked got cancelled, obviously postponed. But this one is ready so at the end of the month it's a 50k in a day and they have all these covid secure things in place to make sure it's safe for everyone and so I've booked that obviously what's happening at the moment with bookings is you can book stuff but then you might have to cancel if you have any symptoms or they might cancel or whatever so you put everything in place with but the thing is I've been putting off things because I'm like oh what if I can't do that because it's cancelled or I, I get sick and I'm like okay I need to stop doing that I need to book things and if they get cancelled such is life but I'm, if I'm not putting things in, then nothing's going to happen. I've also booked my, I've talked, I think I've talked about this. I've booked the Beckett Way next month, which is my six day pilgrimage from Southwark in London, South London to Canterbury. And if you've read my deviance in my Brooke and Daniel series, that has a lot about the history of Southwark and it's set in modern London, but Southwark is an area of London, which is incredibly historic and for, so from Southwark to Canterbury and it's six days walking and but I'm doing it as the pilgrims would have done it which is I'm not camping I'm staying in inns <laughs> otherwise known as B&Bs and uh, so I don't have to carry a tent or anything and that will actually be the basis of my next arcane book which will be about the relics of Thomas a Beckett and so that's in place and again I might have to cancel that, but if I don't put it in, it won't happen and suddenly it'll be winter and I won't be able to do anything. And then also I have booked what is a bigger 
plan and has been a goal of mine for over 20 years, which is to walk the Camino de Santiago, the Camino Frances, the, the French route across northern Spain and from the south of France across northern Spain. And that Ha, is on my list to achieve before I'm 50. So I'm 45 now, so I've got to do it in the next five years. I've planned it for 2022. So 2021 is a holy year, so it's going to be really busy, but I'm planning for 2022. It will also give me time to do longer walks and prepare for that because it is 36 days, around 36 days. Obviously, you can take rest days now and then, and it's around 700 kilometers. I have uh, actually, I sat down yesterday with the route that is the most recommended route and the places where you can stay each night and had a look at where I could do it and started properly preparing that rather than just talking about it because that's the thing you if once you look at a map and you know how much you can walk every day which on a camino like that is usually say 20 to 20 between 20 and 25 to 30 per day kilometers per day that's a kind of the route that people generally do and so actually by looking at the map and figuring out okay this day and thinking about it takes it a step beyond just saying I'll do that someday. And so this is something I recommend. If you are feeling that your comfort zone is shrinking, then what can you do to start expanding it again? And it might just be in your mind because even the act for me of sitting down with the maps and going, okay, that's what I can do on day one, day two, thinking about, you know, researching things. I actually watched a couple of documentaries about the Camino and seeing some of the issues that people have and I've been reading this stuff for years but this is right I am doing it so yeah so that's my recommendation this week I can so I'm going to do some local travel and obviously I'm exploring virtually as I write Tree of Life and I can expand my comfort zone without too much stress especially if I accept that things might get cancelled so as long as I just accept that's a possibility that's okay So my question, another question this week is, where is your comfort zone right now? Not just physically, but also creatively and around business. Maybe you're just fine being at home, being quiet, if you can be. But are you doing the same things because they are comfortable? It might be about your writing practices or how you advertise or don't advertise (laughs) or how you network or the type of books you read. Where are you happy with your comfort zone? And where are you not happy with your comfort zone? And what can you do about that to make sure it doesn't shrink too much? Because when hopefully we do emerge into whatever the new world is going to be like, we don't want to be shrinking away and diminishing. We want to be expanding. And then a couple of other things that might help. Obviously, my books and travel podcast keeps me engaged. And this week I had an interview with David Morell, who you might know. Uh, he's been on the podcast before, but best known for First Blood that became Rambo, although his writing is not at all like the Rambo thing. We talked about time traveling through book research and David is Canadian, lives in America and uh, his historical mysteries are set in Victorian London and feature Thomas de Quincey. So we talk all about how book research can lead you into different kinds of travel. So you can do that from home. David certainly has done a lot of physical research in his time, but you can check that out on my books and travel podcast on whatever app you use. 
I'm also doing a promo again this month. I did one at the beginning of the pandemic and it certainly feels time to do another one, especially if you want to make the most of the rest of the year. School's back in for many people and if you want to upskill, you can get 50% off all my ebooks and many of my audiobooks if you buy direct from my Payhip store. Just go to payhip.com forward slash the creative pen with a double N for non-fiction and fiction including box sets just use coupon code sept20 so s-e-p-t-20 all caps to get 50% off sept for september obviously for the whole month of september s-e-p-t-20 to get 50% off if you buy an ebook you'll get a book funnel link uh, so you can download it to whichever device you like if you buy audiobooks you get mp3 files but if you're struggling just email me and i can give you an author's direct code so payhip.com forward slash the creative pen for my non-fiction and fiction including box sets use coupon code SEPT20 all caps and links in the show notes so thanks for all your tweets and comments and emails this week thanks to SK Randolph for all the lovely pictures from the Grand Mesa in Colorado where she had a local off-site business lunch with the podcast and I love and she says I love the diversity of topics and guests you share Tomasthenes says thank you on Twitter thank you for continuing to not only podcast about deep technical issues for authors but in making them understandable thank you and I'm actually preparing an update to my nine ways AI will disrupt authors and publishing it's hard to sort it out though uh, because every time I think right I'm going to talk about this now something else changes and I just need to double down and do my 2020 episode I'm sure you've read things and seen things people are saying that the pandemic is changing things faster than ever. So things that might have taken five years are now taking five months. And I want to pin something down in 2020, but I'll I'll definitely have to be doing this every year in terms of an update. But yeah, expect that in the next month, probably. Sarah Nicholas says, sent a lovely picture. Thank you, Sarah. Had a library programme tonight. So I'm walking late in the driveway, listening to the podcast with Len. And Evans, hi Tom, says, I always love podcasts. Just when you think you know what you're doing, uh, the creative pen explains it so much better. (laughs) I don't think I did because Tom says, I've realised I'm writing narrative nonfiction, but about the future that's not quite happened yet. And uh, that was about the episode with uh, Matt. And then finally, Casey Ryan says, knew you'd appreciate this picture from my childhood cemetery in South Louisiana. These little white homes for the dead have always inspired me. Thank you, Casey. And I always appreciate uh, graveyard and cemetery photos. And actually, I have, uh, talking about books and travel, I have a awesome episode coming up later in the year around cemeteries with Lauren Rhodes who who's written a book called and uh, talking about cemeteries and graveyards I've got an awesome interview coming up with uh, Lauren Rhodes who's got a book 199 cemeteries to visit before you die <laughs> which is very cool that's coming up on books and travel later in the year so you can tweet me at the creative pen or leave a comment on the show notes or email me joanna at the creative let me know what you think of the show answer the questions I pose to you. Or you can send me pictures of where you're listening in from. I always love to see where you are in the world. 
So today's show is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, and I'll play a word from Steph and Tara in a minute. And remember, you can get lots of tips for selling more books on Kobo from the fantastic Kobo Writing Life podcast, which also goes into the craft of writing, publishing and book marketing tips. I've been publishing direct on Kobo since the beginning, and I still love it. And remember to ask for the promo tab so you can submit for Kobo specific promotions only available if you publish direct on Kobo. And uh, I love Kobo. They are truly a global publisher and make it possible for readers around the world to buy your books, which they cannot do often on some of the big store that we might have mentioned. (laughs) So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. As ever, it means a lot to me that you continue to support the show and spread the word and uh, that you find the show useful after all these years. Thanks to new patrons this week, including J. Elizabeth Vincent, Idar Pettersson, Peggy Borgman, Danita Ackingbar and Steve Brock. I really appreciate your support. And if you'd like to support the show with just a couple of dollars a month, you'll get the extra monthly Q&A audio, uh, including the backlist, plus 10% off my online courses, including your author business plan, which uh, is definitely one of my most popular courses. You can support the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. Right. Here's a word from Kobo Writing Life, and then we'll get into the interview. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Tara. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors, and our team of dedicated book lovers are always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With that in mind, we want to tell you about Kobo's subscription reading service, Kobo Plus. This program has been a great success in the Netherlands and Belgium, which is why we decided to bring it to our home market and launch Kobo Plus in Canada. The great thing about Kobo Plus for authors is that it reaches an entirely new audience who may be trying digital reading for the first time. We also ensured that authors retain the control of their books. Do you want to try out a book in Kobo Plus in Canada, but not in the Netherlands? You have the option to do that. Simply select the areas you want to be included in the rights and distribution section of your book. My favorite feature for authors is that there's no exclusivity with Kobo Plus. You can sell your books wherever you choose, and we encourage you to make your work available to as many readers as possible. It's a great way to gain and build an audience. If you want to learn more about Kobo Plus or Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. You can create your free account at kobo.com slash writing life. Back to you, Joanna. Emily Kimmelman is the author of the Sydney Rye Mystery Series and also writes fantasy under Emily Reed. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Oh, great to have you on the show. So first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing. Sure. I am Emily Kimmelman and I live in New York and I started writing in my uh, early 20s is when I decided I wanted to be a writer and I'm in my I'm almost 40 now. Um, And I started writing basically because I love reading. I don't think that's an unusual uh, path to take. But I think the small difference for me is that I was severely dyslexic when I was a kid. So I actually couldn't read until I was about 10, 11. And then it was like a switch went off in my head. And I went from not being able to read to being able to read at college level. And I actually can remember the moment where I could read. I was looking at a sign that all the letters were crooked and they literally moved into correct order. And I read it aloud and I was in the car with my mom and she started crying. (laughs) 
and we were, and from that moment on, I looked around and literally I could read everything. We were in Philadelphia, the city I grew up in, and I could read all the billboards. I could read everything. And it was just like a miracle to me. And I'd, my parents had always read to me. My dad read to me, even after I could read myself, he still read to me at night. And so I really grew up with a love of story and a real fascination for reading and writing. It was this land I couldn't get into. And then once I could get in, it became just an obsession. And I read all the time. I still read all the time. And so in many ways, I don't, I don't know that there was another option for me. I did try other things. I worked as a photographer for a while and I wanted to be a visual artist, which didn't, I wasn't that good at. And all of my visual artist friends kept telling me what a good writer I was trying to steer me gently away from that and into writing. And so it was in my early 20s that I was living in New York. I was going to college and I read a book that was terrible and I thought I can do better than that. And so I did. I started trying to anyway. Uh, who knows if I've actually succeeded, but I certainly um, have tried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you, you wrote that first book sort of 20 years ago. I wrote it when I was I wrote it when I was 25. I wrote my first book and I'll be 40 this December. So you've basically been a full-time writer for that time? No, no. I worked as a dog walker. I worked as a bartender. My husband, who's a glassblower, we had a gallery and a studio together. So I didn't start writing full-time until 2013 is when I went full-time. No, that's fantastic. So I wanted to, just on the dyslexia, because I feel like many authors or or many people know people with dyslexia like my brother's dyslexic and like you said some people click through it so the other thing you didn't fit in a box with your dyslexia and you also have uh, spent a a large part of your life getting out of the box in terms of travel and travel's (laughs) been a really big part of your life so tell us a bit more about your travel adventures and how they've ended up in your books sure my husband and I are both huge travelers. It's, I think that's one of the reasons when my husband proposed to me, he literally said we were at JFK long-term parking, get it long-term. And we were about to go on a trip and he proposed and said, this is one of many adventures and let's have adventures together for the rest of our life. Our relationship is based on the idea of traveling and having adventures. And so we've really made it a centerpiece of our life and writing books really, it's something you can definitely do on the road. And I am hugely inspired when I travel. So when we went to India one year, then Sydney Rye, my character, went to India. When we went to Costa Rica, she went to Costa Rica. Uh, she basically goes places I want to go <laughs> and has adventures there. And when I'm there, I talk to people. I find out what's going on in that country what, and try and find something that could you know, be a bad guy and then use that. And I, I do a lot of just observing, just soaking it up. And then I also, I always write when I'm on the road. I just am always writing because I can't stop, as most authors <laughs> will tell you. Um, but we really made it a centerpiece. And some of the ways we've done that is we uh, lived on a boat, which is a great way to travel. So we lived on a boat actually in New York. We mostly stayed in the New York area on it. And we would be here for spring, summer and fall. And then we would put it up on the hard. So we'd wrap it in plastic and put it up on land and then go abroad for four months or so during the winter, which allowed us to not have to worry about a house being injured while we were gone and gave us that freedom. And then when we had my daughter, so we moved into a house to have my daughter. And then when she was six months old, um, we bought an Airstream and started traveling on the Airstream because we felt like a boat wasn't safe with the baby. Um, And we spent uh, two years living in the Airstream with her. And then we would do the same thing. So if we wanted to go to Spain, we could just put it in a storage locker and 
get on a plane. I love that. I'm definitely someone who has spent a lot of time traveling and just love making that part of my research process. Like you, my character, Morgan Sierra, tends to go where I go and drink wine (laughs) that I drink and all kinds of things. But it's interesting because one of the things I can't do is I can never write while I'm on. I can't write that book when I'm on that trip because I don't Mm -hmm. really know where it's going to end up. So, for example, the book I'm writing now has bits from different trips over the last four years that I knew would end up in a book somewhere. But Mm -hmm. then I get it. So how do you or what are you writing when you're actually within that trip itself versus when later on when you think about it, when it's had time to settle? So most of my trips are long-term. So we went to India for four months. And so we weren't on the road every day. And I would I'd have my regular routine. I'd, when we were living in India, we were in Goa for a lot of it. So we rented a, a hut on the ocean. And every morning I'd get up and take a walk on the beach and I'd come back and I'd read for a little bit. And then I'd write as many words as I could pour out. And, and then and then the afternoon we'd go do other things and explore and, and see friends. And so I was living my life as much as I was traveling, if that makes sense, that I, mm. I go very slowly. We're not trying to get to the next site. We're not trying, we're not rushing. Even we are on the Airstream, we would never drive more than three hours in a day. And we, so we were, we like to go slowly, but just continue to go. And so that makes it easier to get the writing done because I'm not trying to get to museums. I'm not rushing. Mm. And then I find it very easy to write while I'm in the place. And my husband jokes to people when we're traveling. He says, don't tell her any stories. You'll end up in her book because we'll be at dinner party and someone tells me a story about the place. And literally the next day I've got a character telling that story or a version of it. Mm. Uh, and then, but also same as you years later, I use a lot of that stuff too. I just said a whole piece of my most recent book in Turkey, which I went to in 2013 and hadn't written about. And I have a whole section that's in Istanbul. So it, 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 comes when it needs to show up. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. And uh, I, I went to Istanbul, it must have been 1994. I haven't been mm. since then. And we're a very different place now. But that, that brings up a, a good point about writing with real places. And um, mm. how much is true? And how much do you make into fiction? Where do you draw that line? I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that most of the cases, my books are pretty out there. So I try and use uh, kind of truth in my characters and the way they would respond to things. And I try and use, but, but I try and also take like big, complex, scary things that, that we can't solve. And I try and put them into one character and then basically kill that person and solve all the problem, um, which is not how the world works, but is very satisfying. I try and use that truth that is like the ultimate truth and then fictionalize the rest to make it more uh, solvable. I guess it's, for example, I wrote uh, a book in New York and there's one of those islands, um, not Rikers, but somewhere around there. And I had that one of my characters could hear the sound of a helicopter coming from a certain Mm. direction. And someone emailed me and said, you can't possibly hear that with that direction because of the way the wind works around that island around New York. And I'm like, yeah, I think that that you're really asking for a bit much for me to get that exactly right. Yeah, but I would say I don't don't worry about that. Yeah. (laughs) No, me me neither. But it's interesting because people you want to if you're writing about Istanbul, for example, and you write Mm. about Hagia Sophia or you're Mm. writing somewhere that is is well known, you do have to have exact description of a place. But then something might happen that isn't real, obviously. 
Yes. And I think for me, that's, that is important that the street looks right, that the, the way people are dressed is correct, that the, that the traffic flows in the way it would flow, um, and that the, the smells are the smells. So I think evoking the place in that way is very important to me. And when I can't go to a place, I'll watch a lot of YouTubes and um, I often read other people's fiction that are from that place uh, to get a feel for it. Mm, We're very similar, I think, in that way. So then another question is, do you get your story ideas from setting primarily? So is setting the first thing and then like you mentioned, oh, there's a story about a place and then I make up a character to fit that because right. that's how I do it. Like setting is my primary inspiration and then I add in everything else later. Or, or how do you do things? It's changed over the years. And my last few books, I use Dean Wesley Smith's writing into the dark method. So that's basically where you climb in the character's head and you just look around and start typing. Mm. And I've always been more of a, a pantser. I've tried plotting and I'll spend all this time building this beautiful plot. And then I start writing and the characters immediately are like, I'm not doing any of that. That's not me. Just leave me alone. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so I've really leaned into that in recent years. And so I basically sit down and start typing. And now I don't even, I just start typing scenes and I don't know where they are in the book. I don't know anything about them. And then I just go and go and it all somehow just comes together at the end. And it's, I, I consider it somewhat of a miracle at this point, but yeah, I just write. Um, oh, no, so it, my subconscious just pulls whatever it needs from my experiences. And, and now the way I traveled, I just go where I want. And my subconscious, how do I, maybe it's directing me, but it certainly uses what I put in there. Um, mm. And I don't worry about it or think about it too much because I don't, I don't want to mess it up by overanalyzing it. <laughs> Oh, no, I know what you mean, that kind of serendipity or synchronicity. Yeah, Yeah, this book that I'm doing at the moment, Tree of Life, is what I'm writing. And something will come up in your research and you think, how is that real? Like, how is that what I was actually looking for? And there it is in real life. It it, it actually is true. And that that I find that the synchronicity of travel that's probably Mm. based on the fact that we've traveled a lot and it's all in our mind somewhere. Yeah, so I want to come on to your family then, because obviously you've had this very busy travel life, but now you have two kids and Mm -hmm. you've uh, talked about how you've managed to keep an income from your books while taking Mm -hmm. maternity leave. And I feel, I I certainly feel as an author, self-published author, that I have to keep something running. I have to keep Mm. the income coming in. So what are your tips for writers who are parents and who maybe also have day jobs and are struggling with too much to do? Yeah, I I hired help. (laughs) (laughs) I have uh, JB Davis, my business manager, and she's amazing. And we met in 2016, I guess, when basically I'd had my daughter, I'd uh, fumbled through that maternity leave and seen a, a big decrease in my income and kind of recognized Also, once I had a kid that, oh, I I didn't realize how much work I was doing. It was one of those things where I thought I didn't work that hard. And then I realized that, oh, I was always working, actually. (laughs) My husband and I would sit down to watch TV in the evenings. I'd have my computer on my lap. That's when I do my emails. That's when I would book my promos. And basically, once I had a kid that so much of my time just evaporated. And so I needed someone to book the promos and write the emails. And I still uh, do strategy. Jamie and I work together to create strategy, but I needed someone who could format the books and upload them and everything. And I actually hired a coach to help me figure out how to do that uh, because I didn't know how to get all these things that I did, the, the systems I had built up over the years. I didn't know how to get them out of my head and into someone else's hands. And I think that 
for me, that was really important for my career that I needed to uh, have someone else doing a lot of that kind of detail work that is very, it can really suck your time and your energy. And I needed someone else to do a lot of that for me. And so it's, you know, Jamie and I, it took me, it took us probably eight months to get to where we could work together very smoothly. And now it's, we're a well-oiled machine and we have so much fun working together and uh, she has great ideas and we brainstorm together. And, and also I think one of the other great things about working with someone is that being an indie publisher can be lonely. You're one, a one man band. And if you have someone else you're working with, it really, it helps you check whether you're crazy or whether you're having good ideas. (laughs) It's interesting because there really is a a tipping point, I think, when it comes to deciding to hire help, because like you Mm -hmm. said, your income had dropped. So how did you reconcile I'm making less money with I need to spend more money to get more help? It became one of those things where it just became such a pain point that I just could see so clearly that that I wasn't going to be able to that I could I wasn't going to get where I wanted to go alone and have kids and a life. Uh, I I certainly could have done it. I was doing it before kids, but then I really wanted to spend time with my daughter. I didn't want to spend my evenings writing emails. And so I just, and also I found Jamie who we worked together. I was like, look, this is what I can afford now. And as we work together, I'll make more money and I'll pay you more. And that's how we've done it is we've built it together. And also Jamie was interested in doing this kind of work. She had experience on social media management stuff, but she And she had some experience in the stuff I wanted her to do, but it was the first time she was going to be working with an author in this exact way. And so we were figuring it out together. And now she works with several other authors Mm. um, and has, and really has built her own business. And so it really worked out for both of us. But I, I, I just knew that my goals were bigger than I could accomplish alone. Mm, that's it's a good recognition in that mm. way so then you know what what are your goals in that way then how did you decide what your goals were because many people have different goals when it comes to books I think for me it's a combination of reach which also equals income and this is actually a conversation I have in my head quite a bit because my goal is just reach just to have people read my books and I just make them all free so that's not my only goal I also want to make a living and I want to make a good living because I want to have nice stuff and I want to travel and I want to spend a lot of time with my family. My goals are, I have high income goals for myself. I want to sell a lot of books. And I think I, I set those every few months. I look at how I did, how I've done. And I, you know, I set a monetary goal every month and I have quarterly goals for my own work and kind of launches I want to do or promos. And I just keep going forward. But my, when I look five or 10 years out, if I just want to be as you know, I want to make seven figures. I have really big goals on that front. Mm, that is great to know because yeah. uh, I like ambition. I think ambition is something. Well, I feel that there is ambition. Like authors will go, "Oh, I really, I want a movie deal, or I want to make seven figures." Right. But then you actually have to turn that into, like you said, a, a strategy, mm-hmm. and to do that. So, what are some of the things that you're putting in place to aim at that seven figures? I have spent a lot of time working on getting good at advertising. That's something I've put a lot of energy into. And I, this year, I've already made more than I made last year. And it's because I'm just getting better and better at advertising. You know, that to me, it's about reaching people, right? Really, reach and financial are just really wedded to each other. So the more people you have coming into your series, the more money you're going to make. And they're going to tell their friends. And it's just a, a great 
self-fulfilling prophecy in a sense. So I work really hard. I do a lot of Facebook advertising and I learn so much from that because it's not just about selling books. I actually adjust my blurbs, my covers. My entire business at this point is really informed by what's happening with my Facebook ads. So one thing I noticed, I read my series, Sydney Rice, she's a giant dog named Blue. And I had a lot of people who were asking in comments, does the dog die? I can't stand a series where the dog dies. And other people would comment. It became this whole conversation. So I literally made an ad that said, my dog does not die in this book. And it's hugely successful. Now, every single ad I have has a PS at the end. The dog does not die in this series. My blurbs have at the end. PS, the dog does not die in this series. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. And I, I have people comment who are like, I've been seeing your series for years, but never bought it because I thought the dog died. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay. And people are like, thank you so much for relieving me of the fear that the dog might die. And so that I never would have discovered that if I hadn't been doing so much Facebook advertising. That is hilarious. And yeah, really, hilarious. it's really interesting. Then I guess I'm because when you said you had a business manager who took a lot of the work from you, I mm. imagined that work that the work um, that she's taken is things like advertising. But does that mean you keep you do the advertising? So basically what I, I do, the advertising and I write the books and Jamie does everything else. She formats all the books. She runs my ARC team. She runs my Facebook a uh, fan group. I, I literally could not list all the things she does for me because the minutia of this business, there's so many mm. little things. Uh, she does the email automations. Whenever we update anything, she goes through and up- updates everything. She works with my website guys. Every time we have a new book, it's just, there, there's what I do is, okay, these are the, so I have to write the books and the advertising and that's it. And so it keeps my plate pretty clean and then she has to deal with all of the little details that surround a business. No, that's that's really interesting that you've kept the advertising because I feel like yeah. so many authors don't want to do the advertising. Yeah, I get that. No, I 100% get that. I didn't want to do the advertising. It's not like I wanted to do it. <laughs> um, it's just that it's like I realized I needed help at one point. So I found Jamie and I also realized I was going to have to do my own advertising. I've tried to hire people. And it just doesn't, it hasn't, I shouldn't say it doesn't, it hasn't for me at this point worked. And so the thing is though, when I hired Jamie, I had a system and I said, this is how I like to do things. These are all the things that here's use book funnel, use this, use that. And obviously she brings things in now, but I like to know how everything's being done in my business. And so it's, it was impossible for me to hand over Facebook ads or any kind of advertising to someone else without knowing how to do it successfully first. And that, mm. that's me. That's, that's just the way I do things. And so now that I have it figured out today, yeah, for now, knock on some wood, I think it's something that in the future, there are pieces of it I will be able to hand off, but I needed to know how to do it before I could hand it off. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't know many people who have been able to outsource the advertising yeah. if effectively and cost effectively. Yes. Because there are so many things you need to know yourself. So that's interesting. So just a few questions like that. So what do yeah. you publish wide? Yes. So that's all yes, definitely. And that's one of the things Jamie has to deal publishing wide is as more complicated than just doing Amazon. And there's just more to deal with if you publish wide. So what do you find Facebook is most effective for for reaching readers on the on the other platforms? So I still make most of my money on Amazon, but I make, out of all the other ones, I make a good living there too. But 
what I've started doing is I have a link that goes to a landing page, which has all the retailers on it. It has the paper book and it has the audio. And I sell a lot of audio now, which is, was, I could not have said that to you last year. And a big part of that is the landing page and having it available. People will just go and buy it. And so I think having paperback audio available on all retailers, I can just satisfy more people's needs that way. Mm. So coming back to this uh, seven figure goal, I have mm-hmm. that goal as well. It's on my mm-hmm. wall. It's mm-hmm. I don't have a time limit on it, which I probably yes. should put on. I just I'm <laughs> hesitant to put a time limit on it because yeah. I feel like I could easily fail if I put something too aggressive on it. But I'm very interested in you also feeling this way. So Mm -hmm. apart from the advertising, what are you doing with the, I guess, the books themselves that are taking you towards that goal? Is it series? Is it writing to market? What are you doing with the books and the the craft side? So it's series, which is what I like to read. So it's what I write. And also, I think it's your best chance of getting seven figures. And so I... I have attempted to write to market before, but my characters are not into it. <laughs> and like I said, I don't have a lot to say. <laughs> so I've given that up. <laughs> I would say, and now I just write the books that want to be written. And then basically what I do is I use Facebook advertising to find the people who want to read those books because there are people, every book, I, I believe every one of my books has an audience and that's why my book wanted to be written. And so I just, it's my job then to go find these people who want this book and they're out there. And so it's writing the books, basically allowing the books that want to be written and then using ads and other things like that to find the readers who want to read it. Mm. So how does your time look now then? Uh, how, how Everyone always wants to know this. How, how do you balance <laughs> your time? It's gotten harder of late <laughs> because my kids are both at home all day and my husband's at home. And so we have a very full house. And basically I write in the morning. So I I wake up with the kids and I take a thermos of coffee to my office and I lock the door and I put on headphones. And then I I free write and I meditate and then I, my words and the, the word count, I usually have a goal for the day, but if it doesn't happen, I don't get upset about it. And if I get more, I, I totally celebrate. <laughs> so I only go one direction with that. And then if I'm feeling stuck or just my kids are being especially loud that morning, I will go out dictating. And so I'll just, I'll, I, I do a walk talk is what I call it. And I go for a walk and I talk to myself. And usually while I'm talking to myself, a scene just starts and I'll just dictate it. And so I basically until noon is my creative writing time. And then I take a break at noon, help with the kids a bit, put my son down for a nap. And then the afternoons, I work on advertising or I have a meeting with Jamie where we look at what's going on. We usually talk about once a week and kind of say, okay, here's the promos we have coming up. Here's what's going on. Or we'll talk bigger picture. What are we, do we need a rebrand on this? What are we doing differently in the future? Projects ongoing. And so that's basically how it's broken down. And I used, now I only work like two to three afternoons a week because I have, I help with the children a lot more, which is great. And I love, but not totally sustainable. So my husband and I are trying to figure out what we're going to do in the coming months. My daughter's not going to go back to school. She's only five, so she doesn't Mm. need to. And uh, we don't feel super comfortable doing that right now. So we're figuring that out. One thing I used to do is I would get up at 5am and write. So we're probably going to bring that back so I can 
which I love. I just absolutely adore getting up at 5 a.m. and writing and having my words before anyone else is even awake is like the best feeling. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And I think it's really yeah. important to for people to know that because I, I feel like sometimes everyone gets so obsessed with advertising that they forget the books mm-hmm. need to be written. And so you're, that's your the first thing you're doing and yes. your, your family. So do you work evenings and weekends? I don't work evenings because I'll tell you by 5 p.m. my brain is just a mush. It just is like, <laughs> it's done, you know. And uh, weekends are really for my family. And my husband, I used to work more and my husband really got on my case about it. And was, what are you doing with your life? Are you running a business or are you having a family or do you maybe want to have an even scale here? And, and that kind of woke me up to, oh yeah, you know what? I do need to, I do, I did have kids to spend time with them. <laughs> so I, I spend a lot of time with my family and really enjoy that. And so weekends, occasionally I'll work weekends. If I have a deadline and I'm behind, I'll definitely work a couple weekends getting my writing done in the mornings. If I have a launch or something and I feel like I need to really watch my ads all weekend and I need to be paying super attention, I will take that time. But that I will end up, I'll make up that time with my family later in the week. Mm. And how about the two pen names? Because I, I feel like mm. I, I have one nonfiction and one fiction, but I feel like mm-hmm. within you have two fiction pen names. Mm. So how does that work? Why did you decide to do that? And what are some of the pros and cons? So I, I decided to do that because my good friend, Toby Neal, who I co-authored the score series with, we launched that together. And what we realized really quickly, it's in as a romantic thriller during a pandemic. And what we realized really quickly is that because our mystery thriller fans went and bought it, Amazon thought it was a mystery thriller and tried to sell it to other mystery thriller fans who didn't buy it. And then Amazon said, oh, this isn't a successful book and basically buried it. And so what became, and then if you read up on the algorithms, basically they're smart, but they're not that smart. They can't tell that Emily Kimmelman writes in different genres, so we shouldn't try and sell her books all to the same people. And so the reason I did the pen name and and Toby did one as well is because basically our algorithms were getting muddled and it was hurting both sides of our business. And now they're separate. And if you go to the also bots, which almost don't exist anymore, but if you go to the also bots of that series now, it's all other romantic thrillers, which is what it should be. Whereas before it used to be all mystery thrillers. And but obviously there's a lot of maintenance with multiple names. So do you yes. keep both of those names going or do you f- you focus on one? Yes, I focus more on Emily Kimmelman because the mystery thrillers are my bread and butter. But I love urban fantasy. I love romantic fantasy. And so I write that as well because those are the books that want to be written. And I haven't spent as much time trying to build that audience because I don't have the read through at this point. So I have 13 books in my Sydney Rye series. It's so much easier to make money off a 13 book series than it is off a three book series. So I'm building up that pen name slowly. And once I have the product, I'll start really working on um, promoting it. And how are you promoting that backlist? Is it, are you constantly promoting book one in the series or do you do other things? So I do other, I do that and other things. So I uh, have, ads that go to book one and I have a one to eight box set that I sell for $9.99. That's a great price. And I about once a year put that on sale for $4.99. And that is always a huge people just buy it's so easy to sell it at $4.99. And then people buy the rest of the series. Because if you 
start the series with eight books, people rip through it and are obsessed. Like that's a great way to get someone into your work is just let them dive in to a series. Whereas the first book, then they have to make the decision to buy the second one, the decision to buy the third. Whereas if they have the first eight, the decision to buy the ninth, not difficult. They're invested. Mm, yeah, so I sell that usually at $9.99 and I have ads running to that all the time. And that's um, my preferred way to bring people into the series because those fans show up in my Facebook group and they are so excited. <laughs> they just spent a week only reading my books. <laughs> Oh, no. And having I think uh, Christine Catherine Rush says that you must have enough that someone can binge for a mm -hmm. weekend. Yes. And if someone binges on enough of your books, I think there's other research that says if you it, people need to read at least three of your books before they even remember your name. <laughs> totally makes sense. <laughs> it really does. Then I'm I again coming back on the seven figure thing. I've been thinking about this a lot is and um uh fantasy author Lindsay Baroka has, has been on the show recently and she mm -hmm. said you might have a good year and then the next year it it, it doesn't mm -hmm. keep trending up it doesn't mean mm -hmm. that if you keep writing books and mm -hmm. you keep advertising that doesn't step up every single year until you make seven figures so mm -hmm. what do you think are some of the other things that we need to incorporate in order to move into that sort of level so for example is it licensing is it going mm -hmm. hybrid is it doing different is it doing other things other than just write more books plus ads I think definitely write more books plus ads is a big part of the equation, then licensing, uh, getting it into all the different formats. So audio, you're always talking about um, big print. So putting it into all these different formats so you can reach your readers, no matter how they want to take in your content, I think is really important. And then I don't have the solution for what seven figures is because I'm not there yet. But I would say my strategy at this point is to keep my eye on it, keep my eye on what's happening today and just keep walking in that direction. And I've had mostly in my career, I've only had uptrends except for when I had kids. And then I would slide back to where I'd been the year before. But other than that, I've always made more than the year before. And I feel like the reason is because I'm constantly learning, constantly putting out new books, and I'm always shifting. I'm not getting into, oh, this works, therefore this will work tomorrow. I am work. I am always looking at what is working today. Okay. It's working tomorrow. It's working you know, today. Great. Okay. Now it's not working. Okay. Let's look at everything. Let's see. Why is this not working? And I comb through my numbers and I look at comments and I'm like, okay, do I need new covers? Do I need new blurbs? What is, what has slowed this progression? So I'm always on the lookout for that. Uh, so I don't think I have an expectation. You know, I think my strategy is always the same, but I'm always willing to try new tactics. Mm. So it would, it, what is your biggest struggle? I think my biggest struggle right now is finding the time and bandwidth to continue to produce solid fiction. And I have really allowed myself to slow down because I do have a solid backlist at this point. And I think with everything that's going on, it's the words still want to come, but they need to be the silence that I need that I need to create is much harder to create right now. And so I'd say that's my biggest struggle is finding that silence in all of this chaos.
Yeah. <laughs> and in case people are listening in the future, which they yes. are, uh, we're recording <laughs> this in August 2020 during the yeah. pandemic. And yes. yeah, I think the mental headspace is difficult. But then mm-hmm. on the mindset stuff, because I, I feel like this ambition and I, I love that you just come out and said the seven figure thing, because I feel mm-hmm. like we as creatives back away mm-hmm. from the scary ambition because mm. of fear of failure there were certainly okay I'm saying we I <laughs> I back away because it feels like oh my goodness it's too big and I the thing is now we both know people who are at that level yes and so it's not like it's out of reach but it still feels mm. I, I think maybe my imposter syndrome rears its head and and all mm. these different things have you switched your mindset into that ambition and and how do you keep yourself focused on that with without letting these fears take you away I think I'm not going to say that I never get afraid I got my ad budget recently and felt physically ill so you know, <laughs> Um, and you know, the worst case scenario was I was going to lose a couple hundred dollars. This was not like the end of days. And I was like, wow, you are really, you are really afraid of what could happen here. And you're not afraid of the downside because it's not that big. What you're afraid of is the upside. And then you'd have to be this new author who made that much and sold that many books. And what does that mean about your identity? So mm-hmm. I think that kind of shifting our identity to someone who is comfortable with their, what they're making is comfortable saying, I want to make seven figures. And I, first I said, I want to make six figures. And then I did. And so now I want to make seven. And it took me a while. I was making six figures for a while before I finally admitted to myself, oh, I do want to make seven. That is actually where I want to go with this. And so I think it's the mindset stuff. I feel like that's all of it. That's like the whole shebang of life, not just career, not just writing, but like everything is mindset. That's how you're a parent. That's how, that's how you exercise. Everything is mindset. And so I do a lot of meditation. Um, I'm constantly reading about mindset. I'm constantly talking to friends about it uh, and always trying to correct course and make sure that I am not allowing myself to get too excited or upset about anything. And there was a point about two months ago where the level of anxiety I was having was crazy. And so I said, okay, I'm going to start meditating twice a day. That's the solution to this problem. And I started meditating twice a day for 20 minutes. And within a week, I felt like myself again. Mm-hmm. And so I, I find meditation to be incredibly helpful. And really, if you meditate twice a day, it's really hard to get stressed out. <laughs> I, I, I don't meditate, but I, I walk yeah. a, a decent distance. And I feel mm-hmm. like walking is a meditation. And yes. I, I, I do feel like if I don't have my walk, then I do get really stressed. And mm-hmm. so having that just helps and it helps you get perspective. I think that's the mm-hmm. other thing that can be an issue when you're doing a lot of ads um, and being in there is if everything feels so tiny, your whole world is fixated on this on the screen and these numbers and, and then you look up and go oh yeah there's the world but I mean you've got your kids that you've got like a six-month-year-old right he, I have a almost two-year-old and I have a almost five-year-old yeah so I mean you look up yeah. and your kids are running around they don't care as long as their I mom's mean, there <laughs> yeah and they come and bang on my door every 15 minutes so. <laughs> Yeah, you, that, that's real life there. Yeah. But uh, no, this has been fascinating. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. I think we have quite a lot in common with mm-hmm. the travel. And it's always good to meet another sort of amb- ambitious author who you're definitely ahead of me in terms of the fiction world. And that's pretty exciting. So tell everyone where they can find you and your books online. 
Sure. EmilyKimmelman.com is my website and all my other links are there. Brilliant. Thanks so much for your time. Emily. Thank that you so great. much. It's, I just want to say really fast how much I admire you and how much your podcast has helped me over the years. Uh, and it's a real honor to be on it. So thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you found the interview with Emily interesting today. And I'll repeat my question from the intro. What do you want to achieve with your writing life? Where does your ambition lie? And can you give yourself permission to want that? Feel free to tweet me at The Creative Pen or leave a comment or email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com, if you're not ready to share in public. Now, next week, I'm talking to Erin Wright about publishing wide for the win. Erin co-runs the fantastic and fast-growing Facebook group, Wide for the Win, where I have been learning lots about publishing wide. I thought I knew stuff, and then I went into this Facebook group. And I don't even really like being on Facebook, but I do go to this group. It is brilliant. And uh, I highly recommend it if you are not exclusive to uh, Amazon and you want to go wide with your books and reach readers all over the world in ebook, print and audio formats. And uh, that is coming up next week. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.